Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I'm very happy to have two brilliant gents with me. I have Brett Freeman. Uh, so Brett has been on the YouTube before, but not kind of gone through to the podcast. It was Ask the Athlete, which we never put onto the podcast, but this will be. So this will be the first time you're officially on the podcast, Brett. Uh, he is a WMBF uh, pro bodybuilder. Uh, he is some of the craziest conditioning you will ever see on a competitor. And that's part of the reason he's on the show today. Also a coach, online coach, uh, and a great dude. So I'm very happy to have him on the show with Cliff Wilson, who's been on the show a handful of times. So uh, he is obviously a natural bodybuilding coach and took Brett to win the 2019 WMBF worlds in the bantam class which uh, was really cool to see so we're going to be talking a bit about getting to some of that crazy conditioning because i think it's a discussion worth having so i'm very glad to have you both on the show um how are you going cliff how's how's things on your end um pretty good i i just moved and so i've been uh you know living my life out of boxes for the last few weeks but um you know business is going good works good almost the end of the season i can't complain at all and Brett, you're in full off-season mode now. You're sitting there comfortably on some fat glutes. I am, yes. And the cushion, <laughs> the cushion is much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, I, I think this this kind of discussion stemmed through a few things that I've seen on social media, but also big time on one of Cliff's posts where he just essentially Cliff is. I mean, you look at Cliff's Instagram and the people he's taken to stage and I mean, the, the quality is there and it speaks for itself. But Cliff mentioned that Brett was probably has the craziest conditioning he's ever seen anyone have. And I just wanted to dig into what it takes to get that. How does Brett achieve that? And no better person than to have here alongside Cliff than Brett himself. So I guess the first question would be to Brett, what did you do? How did you get such crazy conditioning? <laughs> Oh man, I don't know where you want to start because um, obviously there's training, nutrition, supplements. Like, is there? I guess what would to you if you were to summarize summarize it to someone? What was the process you went through? Dealing and embracing with the feeling of starving yourself for an extended period of time, <laughs> and just learning to love and enjoy the process. Understanding that it is yourself that is putting you through, you know that suffering aspect that does come with prolonged dieting and just continuously being meticulous and hitting your nutritional intake over and over and over again. That's one thing that I'm um, 100% on point with. Contest prepping, not necessarily in the offseason, is just being 100% accurate day in and day out throughout the duration of a contest prep. Cool. Yeah, I think that's that's nice because I think a lot of people listening will understand what you've said just there for a lot of people they'd be like mm -hmm. what there's no like training nutrition hack no no like special fat burning nope. supplement that you rubbed onto your glutes or something <laughs> like there's nothing you did there's no secrets it's just consistently hammering home the basics yes and i mean i i did um attempt to use yonbine to you know okay. remove this try to you know help um get rid of some stubborn body fat or you know attack it per se but all in all, it is just the consistency with dieting. Awesome. And Cliff, if I take it to you, what do you feel like separates Brett from like other people in terms of why, why aren't others necessarily able to achieve the conditioning Brett can achieve? What, is there anything you've done oh. differently with Brett? Or what do you, and oh, what do you well, do from a coach's perspective? Yeah, I mean, well, I should be clear. Brett was like... Ha was already and has already gotten super shredded before I ever came into the picture. <laughs> so I want to, I want to make that clear. Like Brett has always been a, a super shredded guy and um, you know, but man, there are so many components and I'll try not to ramble here. Um, but uh, I mean, I, you, you know, it's funny because Brett, what was your stage weight again? 143. 143 okay so people hear 143 and they're like you know of course like you're not like a mass monster but people don't understand the amount of muscularity you have to have in order to get as lean as you get or you know when guys get these really striated glutes um you know sometimes like i'll get like first-time competitors and they've only been training four years or something like that or five years which in their mind seems like forever you know i've been training five years you know half a decade and they're like I want to get these crazy shredded glutes and this paper thin skin. And I'm like, well, you're just not big enough yet to do that. Um, because <clears throat> I, I, I don't really know. I mean, some of it is that there's not enough 
muscle to push out tightly against the skin. Um, you know, so that's some factor there. And then, you know, if you don't have enough muscular size, there also just seems to be like a, um, almost a baby fat look. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yep, you right, diet yep. down and it almost kind of looks like a, it, you're lean and you can see it, but it's not like there's, there's like this little, um, there's this little layer over top. Um, and so I think one, having enough time with, with weight training and building an, uh, enough size to allow it to happen. Um, I think having to run through a diet process multiple times, I mean, I don't know of anybody that's just dieted down for their first show and got um, elite level, gotten to elite level conditioning. Um, because there are like, there's a lot of mental aspects, like Brett said, like being able to push yourself. And every time you diet down, I don't know about you guys, but like, I find I'm like myself and I see it with clients, they're able to push themselves a little bit harder each time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing is, and I don't know, you know, I have, I have no evidence to back this up, (laughs) but, um, you know, like how muscle memory is a, is a, is a proven factor. Um, there almost appears to be some fat loss memory mechanism and I have no clue what it would be. Um, but it seems like, um, when people diet down, assuming they don't diet down and then come right out of it and then turn around and do it again. But you know, if you have a couple of years between dieting sessions, it seems like getting to the previous conditioning is easier than it was before. Now, this could be mental. I don't know if it's psychological or physiological, but um, I, I, I sometimes am like, it seems like it couldn't all be psychological because it's almost inevitably people, people rock it right back to the previous best conditioning and then grinding out that new, you know, that new best conditioning is difficult. So I think those are some of the factors, you know, muscle mass, repeated dieting process, developing your mindset, um, you know, setting aside any diet or training techniques. I think I love that you brought that actual experience to the table because like I asked Brett that, but that excludes all of what he's done in the years previous and like got that muscle maturity, that experience. And it's interesting hearing about the kind of, because a lot of people talk about the older competitors having lots of density and it's kind of an, people talk about density and I've never really known like what density is and like how does the old and the older competitors often have that. And I always wondered if there was something to, oh, they've liberated that fat so many times, maybe they're able to liberate more and get that like hard look that you can't get with a younger guy. So it's interesting you've seen that. There is some research showing that um, intramuscular fat stores change over the years as we, uh, as we train. So I, I do think that has some factors to it. Like, um, <clears throat> the more that we train our intramuscular fat stores will, will alter. So I do think that has some factor to it. Um, I do think there's a little bit of a genetic, co- genetic component to it. Um, I think some people just have like, for lack of a better term, like thinner looking skin than other people. Um, but I, I think that, um, conditioning is far more controllable and far less dictated by genetics than say muscle mass. And I think coming from you, Cliff, that says a lot because you've coached a lot of people. So it's not like you've had, and I mean, not everyone, I mean, you coach a lot of just high quality competitors. So maybe someone would argue, oh, you get the cream of the crop of the genetic best anyway, but I'm sure you've had people who have gone somewhere and got as leaner than you maybe had thought they could have. Is that, would that be fair? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at at least, um, you know, and, and maybe Brett can shine a light on like what he thought in the earlier stages but at least for my of his career but at least for myself i mean when i first started coaching i mean i wasn't getting the cream of the crop <laughs> like you know what i mean like I, I would say my first 15 20 competitors were just first time competitors and uh and so I, when people come to apply to work with me i'm like well conditioning i'm like assuming you you are ready to do this conditioning is the easy part like we can get that you know, that's a given. Um, it's just a matter of like making all the logistics fall in line, making sure you can actually follow through with it. Cause I mean, like Brett said at the beginning, I mean, Brett, when you start your contest prep, you're usually like, okay, I know what the plan is. The, the hard part is like sticking through it and, and like the persistence, not just, um, not just like, oh, I'm hungry, but also like uh, nobody's in their right mind when they are dieting. Uh, so when I say like, 
generally you'll start to get lean and then and then you're like you see a number on the scale that like freaks you out you're like this is i'm dropping too fast i need to add food back in that's that's also like what it's not cheating because you like kind of plan it out but that's how also people sabotage themselves they're like i'm dropping too fast or i'm getting too thin i need to add food back in and then they prevent themselves from getting lean like that like brett i mean it's it's because you know it's funny because you're the leanest guy I've ever seen, but but and I do this to myself. But you know we had conversations along the way where you know sometimes you're like, should I be losing this fast or you know what I mean? Like you yep. start to <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think I, I mean you guys are both competitors. I always laugh when you're when when I'm in prep. I'll look at myself like how you feel about your physique will change so drastically day to day like the day before my refeed day i'm like i'll look at myself and i'm like i look horrible i feel like shit and i might die at any second and then and then somehow the day after your refeed like one day later you're like i look amazing and i think i'm gonna live forever I get this is actually a really great part of the discussion I wanted to come to at some point because I think there has been talk of people like saying, oh, people are chasing glute conditioning and uh, like and they shouldn't be getting flat during like a contest prep period and people then using refeeds more often. They're trying to hold on to this kind of full look entirely. And I always think there's kind of trade-offs with like when you're flat, that's kind of when you know you're like you're losing your like fat because if you're not full like something has to give whereas if you're full all the time it's not like if you're continually trying to refeed you're kind of shorting the process there and i guess that's a hurdle you probably had to tackle brett were there lots of times where you kind of look to yourself and you're just like something's like you you kind of embrace that flat look oh yeah you definitely have to embrace being flat almost 24 7 even post refeeds because even then you're still a little bit emaciated you're always hungry and that was something that cliff actually intervened when i did start working with him um when i was self-coaching myself the majority of that prep um, i was utilizing quite a bit of diet breaks and weekly refeeds around two to four so carbs were pretty high and when i worked with cliff we took a a different approach towards the dieting digging process uh more linear um, calories and then one re- uh, weekly refeed. But um, no, definitely, I, I, I do think chasing, f- you have to be flat, in my opinion, in order to achieve that elite tier conditioning. Now, that does differ a bit between the amateur and pro ranks because in the amateurs, even nowadays with the conditioning standard being a lot higher, you, you still have to bring a razor sharp um physique to the stage in order to stand out unless you're a mass monster or you're a middleweight or a heavyweight whereas a bantamweight or a lightweight they're typically going to have to depend more so on conditioning in order to win that overall pro card but then and when you jump up into the pro ranks it's it's a mix of conditioning size and symmetry where conditioning can potentially push you up a few placings but it's not the end all b factor from what i've realized is that the same is that your experience as well cliff you know i i think that uh so i mean when it comes to conditioning and whether or not people are over dieted the only time i would i would suggest that there's such a thing as over dieting is when people don't have the muscle mass to get striated glutes like i was saying before like you know sometimes i'll see a teen competitor or early 20s and they don't have the muscle mass to get striated glutes and they're like, we're going for glutes. And I'm like, you're never going to get them. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Like, you'd be better off saving a little bit of fullness. Um, and, you know, I used to be in the camp of there's no such thing as over diet. And I guess I learned that there is, a, there is such a thing when you haven't developed that muscle mass. But then, like Brett said, as you get more, more advanced, I don't think there is, as long as you're going about it correctly, um you know in a in a planned out dieting manner not like a crash diet but it's hard to become over dieted if you're doing it correctly um but uh you know the the 
with the refeeds, going back to the, what the, you were saying about the refeeds, there is a really big, it's very interesting uh, to see trends within the bodybuilding community. And like one thing that's really popular, you know, HIT was really popular in like 2010. And, you know, now, now the big thing is diet breaks and refeeds. And um, don't get me wrong, I use them. Absolutely. I, I like to utilize those. Um, but I think that the, I would put diet breaks and refeeds in the category of um, supplementation. Um, they are beneficial, but sometimes overblown in terms of what they're going to do for you. Um, it will slow it will um, uh, slow the the metabolic adaptation process. You know, if we've got this metabolic adaptation horse, you know, um, it's kind of like putting some weights on the back of the horse to to make it go slower. But some people treat it like you're tethering the horse, you know. Um, and so I think it's just, uh, it, it, you know. An interesting aspect in terms of uh, flat versus a full look. When I um, when I get photos from people and they look flat in prep, um, the difference in their photos is minimal. You know, you guys you guys both coach. You know, they'll be like, "I'm super flat today," and I'm like, "Yeah, you may look like slightly different from four days ago." But the worst thing is, and this is where I think like coaching comes in handy, and um, because. Uh, they feel like they look significantly different. Um, and and I'm, I'm not immune to this. When I compete, um, maybe we've talked about this before, but when I compete, I, I sound like a crazy person, but I actually email myself my photos and my weight. I don't, I don't um, just go off. I, I email myself my photos and my weight, and then I walk away from the computer for a few hours. And I look at it. I look at my... I look at my photos and my weight um, and I kind of just disregard how I feel and go off of what I'm looking at here. And I pretend like I'm dealing with a completely separate person um, because I got to, you know, it's hard to separate yourself emotionally yeah. from what you're feeling on a daily basis. Yep. Put a like a emoji yeah. face over the, the pictures <laughs> yeah yeah you know it is i and i tell my I tell my girlfriend like got another check-in from cliff today <laughs> and i guess i should ask brett then here do you think this look that you achieved this time round, which i imagine was your best look to date do you think that was that you'd attribute uh, a fair bit of that towards having coaching through that final period of time where you do struggle most with being objective about what's going on Oh yeah, definitely. That was one of the main uh, reasons I did hand the keys off to Cliff. Um, diet fatigue. I was not able to make those objective decisions self-coaching myself, especially reaching, especially aiming to reach that conditioning. I just could not really tell apart the differences when I would compare, you know, uh, weekly photos or even even daily photos. And I do owe all of that to Cliff to able to guide me towards, you know, those last six weeks. And then I know we touched and people will be aware of some of the symptoms, but for you, Brett, what are the worst like symptoms you feel during this period of time? Why, why is it such a mental struggle for people to get to like dick skin thin, like levels of leanness, basically? <laughs> well, I mean, I did deal with the uh, negative side effects that do normally come with prolonged dieting in 2011, 2009, 2011, 2013, 17, but 2019 was a little bit different. Um, I wouldn't say I mastered um, those negative side effects. I just embraced them a bit more. So I would say the, the worst thing was sleep. I, I, I remember when Cliff would, you know, I would check him with Cliff and he would ask, you know, how the day went or how the week went. The only thing I recall complaining, not complaining about, but just touching base on is the fact that sleep was poor. Now that could be due to the deficit or it could have been due to just my work schedule and trying to maximize life outside of the gym and just be there more for the family and social events and whatnot. But in regards to irritability, that came and went. Um, there was no food focus that was associated while dieting. I mean, I, I was working with food the entire duration of that prep. So being around food 24 seven didn't really affect me. Um, libido was intact throughout the duration, which was not the case in 2009 and 11. Now I think that could be, I mean, that is mainly due to just 
being there before in the dieting process, kind of um, what Cliff touched on. But besides that, nothing really pops out to me that was too much a negative besides sleep taking such a hit. Yeah. I guess sleep yep. just knocks onto everything. Fast, efficient fat loss. Does that sound like music to your ears? The mini cut movement might just be for you. Mini cuts are like robbing the fat bank. You want to get in and out with as much fat as possible. In a short period of time, you could easily look to lose 6 to 12 pounds of fat. The mini cut movement is excellent. There's group support for extra accountability and also expert help within the group. We have educational videos to keep you on track along the way and you get all your nutrition and training customized and individualized for you. So if that sounds of interest, get involved with the mini cut movement. Yeah. Well, you know, we were saying before in one of our previous podcasts, I, I, and I, I'd probably say, but like, I do think the, the, the physiological and the psychological are so intertwined. I think like the first time somebody does a contest prep, there's like a, a disillusionment period because you're like, this is way harder than I anticipated. You know what I mean? Like, I think everybody goes in thinking I'm going to be hungry, you know, but um, like, you know, the funny thing is it, it, even the things that Brett touched on that are, were issues in the past. I mean, like when you first diet down, first time you ever do a show, you're like, man, I'm cold all the time and I can't sleep and I'm, yeah, I'm hungry all the time, but I also can't sleep because I'm hungry. And there's also like an agitation that comes from being super lean, you know, uh, like you can't settle all the way. Um, uh, my libido sucks, you know what I mean? And you're like, all of these things kind of snowball. So then like you feel bad, but then you start to like feel bad because you feel bad and then you feel worse because you feel bad, you know? Um, and so I, I do think that um, <clears throat> when you guys, and you tell me if you've noticed the same thing, but when I work with clients, I know that over the dieting process, <clears throat> the clients that have a really analytical mindset approach, um, you know, because as a coach, I can kind of like veer people's mindset in one direction or the other, but most of the work has to be done by the individual and people that have a really analytical uh, approach to their mindset, not the, you know, and this is really glorified in our, in bodybuilding, but the, not the, I'm just going to put my head down and fucking work. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to grind. Um, grind brother. That, yeah. That type of, that type of mentality, it almost seems like their preps get harder and harder for them. But the, analytical mindset people their preps get easier and easier because they search for these little ways and they pair themselves you know hey i might be a little tired but that's okay i'm gonna you know still do what i do and um and so i i i think that um there needs to be a an end to the glorification of the um whole rise and grind type you know mantra um uh so i i i think that um in terms of in terms of what you feel at the end of prep and I mean a, a lot of it is like letting people know it's normal I, I think that um <clears throat> in contest prep as a coach I think everyone in general um I don't think a lot of competitors well informed about what it entails you know they they go in and they're they'll talk to some local coach or local competitor who's like you know very surface you're gonna look great um you know you're gonna you're gonna be a little tired you're gonna be a little hungry but you can do this it's more of a rah rah you can do this um attitude and i believe in uh i believe in, in an informed consent approach to uh contest prep like if anything i'm i'm gonna give it i'll, I'll tell first-time competitors like hey um after you you're going to have, I mean, at the end of contest prep and post contest prep, I don't know of anybody that doesn't have a little, a little bit of disordered eating or body image issues. You're going to have that. Uh, you're going to be hungry. You're going to be hungry 24 seven. You're going to be tired. There's going to be mornings where you wake up and you're like, I don't know if I can get through this day. You know, uh, your strength is going to drop like crazy. Uh, you're going to be cold all the time. Uh, your hormones will be altered. And so I tell them all this and I say, okay, in the face of that, you can do it, but do you want to do it? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um, I think it's not like always a positive thing to tell, to downplay it in order to get people to dive into the process. I think it's, it's a positive thing to tell them the realities of it and ask them if it still sounds good to them.
I wonder that's highlighted something for me, Brett. Uh, sorry, Cliff, because I, I know more people are aware of that sort of thing. Do you ever get it where the person's concerned because they don't have these negative things happening yet? And you're like, they're on target. And they're like, yeah, but I, I feel like I should feel worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, and, and one more comment to what you said about how, like, uh, I, you know, working with the elite competitors and stuff like that. I honestly think that, um, I, I, I honestly think one of the things I do better as a coach than some other coaches is my, um, my pre-selection process. Like, cause I still work with quite a few amateurs and first time competitors. Um, I, I tell them up front, I, I probably weed out a fair number of people by what I say to them before they decide to join up with me. Um, you know, I, I, I they, some people say, well, I want to be, you know, I want to win my pro card, you know, even if on their application, they say, I want to win my pro card or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you're going to need five years or something like that. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, I'm really blunt. And sometimes, um, I get a fair, either I weed them out or they weed themselves out by what I say to them. So I think I do end up working with a lot of cream of the crop mentally people because, um, you know, I'm like, I'm saying things to them that people don't want to hear right off, right out of the gate. Um, so, uh, and so I'm sorry, what was your question again? I got totally sidetracked. It's like when, uh, because people are more aware of these, maybe they've read your yours and Peter Fishin's book where they kind of know all the symptoms that they're to expect and they don't feel as terrible as they think they should. So they're like, is something wrong? Oh yeah, there it is. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, do you ever get that where you have to like hold people back? Yeah, it's, I guess it's similar to the go harder mentality. Yeah, um, you know, I think that... Um... <clears throat> I think that one letting people know that there is, there is a genetic component to this. Uh, When I say genetic component, um, the um, number of body fat cells on someone's, on someone's body is um, uh, significantly affected by genetics. Uh, You know, there's, there are some times where the genetics can be altered during like puberty and, you know, the younger years. Um, but you know, the amount of body fat cells that we have on our bodies are going to be, um, largely set. It can alter a little bit, but for the most part it's set. And so somebody that has 10 billion fat cells on their body will have an easier time getting leaner than somebody that has 25 billion. Um, so the thing is like when someone that has 10 billion fat cells starts getting really lean, their body won't feel, um, pressured if I could say to eat as much because, um, uh, so I'm going to go off on a little divergent here, but there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, research that shows that how full our fat cells are control a lot of our physiological drivers, you know, hunger and like I said, like libido and sleep. Um, because when our fat cells get too low, evolutionarily speaking, that's going to be like a warning sign. You know, so it's like there's there's vested interest when body fat cells get really low to drive us to eat or, you know, even like the lack of sleep. Don't sleep. Go find food. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> don't procreate. Uh, you can't raise a kid right now. Go find food. Um, so anyway, um, so someone who has 10 billion fat cells, their fat cells can, I'm just picking arbitrary numbers out of the out of air, by the way, um, but like their fat cells can be fuller with less total body fat on their body. Does that make sense? Someone who has 25 billion fat cells, um, they can have just as much fat as the 10 billion person, but those fat cells are emptier because there's more of them. So of these two, you know, two people, we have 25, 10 billion and 25 billion. The 25 billion is going to have a significantly different physiological response to this similar body fat level because their fat cells are are empty and so there's going to be strong drivers to eat you know stronger stress response things like that so um one i tell people like hey if you're not feeling it you know that's not a bad thing you might be in a better genetic position to handle this um that's okay that's a good thing i, I think that um you know, all, all progress does entail some suffering, but not all suffering equates to progress. Yeah, I think, go on, Brett. Do you think that impacts uh, nutrient partitioning as well? 
Cliff? Oh yeah, I I, I absolutely do. Um, okay. But but there's something to be said for. Um, this isn't my own idea here, but um, and I don't even remember where I got it. So, uh, but um, I had a discussion with Ryan Doris one time. We were saying how people um seem to either be uh, um users of energy or stores of energy um and so i will say that people that have like higher body fat levels or tend towards higher body fat levels they also tend to trend towards higher muscle mass um so i would say there's always a give and a take like if you're one of these people that holds on to body fat more easily you're probably muscular you know very muscular so um i'm definitely a user of energy um and uh and I think that also goes with um, the, that also goes a little bit more with um, response to stimulus. Um, so, like, I think that um, people who generally have a hard time losing fat, they need a big dietary stimulus response to create that fat loss. Usually, they can handle a lot of volume in their training. You know that. Uh, and so um, they they can handle just a lot of a lot of stimulus. So um, anyway, I think that um, it will impact nutrient partitioning because um, the body will prioritize where nutrients are going to go, um, depending on what the situation of the body is. You know how how full are fat stores at the moment? And you know I actually see that when peaking people as well. Um, someone who someone who uh is very lean and i know this isn't a peaking podcast so i'll keep this very <laughs> um but uh have you guys ever noticed when you're peaking somebody um if they had an area that is particularly prone to fat accumulation when you peak them and uh if they are going to spill it will occur in the area that was more prone to fat accumulation so if someone is more prone to fat accumulation you're going to have to be very um careful and selective with their loading process because um i do think that their body will preferentially preferentially start shuttling nutrients to that to that area and sometimes um they'll even need more time for the carb load because um the nutrients kind of almost seem to settle in that area and then tighten up after a little a little grace period a little transient period Cliff, have you seen that a lot with your bigger competitors as well? Like the guys you think could handle a lot of carbs, but you're surprised by how little they can really take? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that uh, that's a, a big mistake, actually, um, that some coaches make. And I, I know early on in my career, I made that mistake myself where, um, you know, you see these giant guys and you think that they should be able to handle loads of carbs, but it's not always the case because I do think metabolic functioning will impact um, how many carbs someone can handle or how much food someone can handle um, every bit as much as their their physical size. And, um, you know, there's, um, there's also an issue too where I think that sometimes those people that tend to store energy like that, uh, they can look better when flat not flat flat but flatter so you know sometimes these and and it's usually the bigger guys that are like i want to be full and huge on stage and i'm like well you know maybe that's not your best look yeah cool and actually on this kind of topic i guess it'll be interesting to hear brett how like where did your calories start for your kind of diet and where did they end up do you and like do you adapt quickly or kind of what's your are you, like in terms of metabolism how are you like are you adaptive or are you quite kind of you fight it oh that's do you want me to start from the beginning yeah go for that to tell, <laughs> okay if you know um, i'll try and go off Roughly. memory but from what i do remember i was around 3500 to 4000 calories um my need was pretty high due to work so 15 to twenty five thousand steps per day um over the course of the duration of that diet, I do remember my calories getting to and around 2,400 to 2,800. Um, neat, still around 15 to 25,000 steps per day. So in regards to uh, metabolic, metabolically being adapted, um, I'd say I, I am to a certain extent. 
Um, when I started working with Cliff, calories were dropped relatively lower off of memory around 1700. I do remember the macros off the top of my head. It was around 57 fat, 110 to 130 carbs, 225 protein, one weekly refeed. Um, and from there, we didn't really touch food too much. He ended up reducing the amount of cardio and steps I was performing. Interesting. So that, that um, honestly helped quite a bit in regards to losing that last uh, bit of fat that I did have to lose. That's interesting. Cliff, is that something you do? Is that like a preference of yours where if someone's neat is very high, you prefer to actually drop that a bit, create the deficit more so through food than through like uh, expenditure elsewhere? Yeah. Um, in, in general, I try to reduce activity to a significant degree, especially at the end of prep. Um, you know, it's a necessary evil. Um, but uh, I, I think that you're so... I think of it in terms of recovery. Um, you know, you're you're so spent at the end of of a contest prep. Um, I mean, okay, so for low intensity cardio, you can add that in without a lot of blowback. But even a moderate intensity or especially hit, I I haven't really used hit in about seven or eight years um, because uh, you know it takes no recovery ability to reduce 20 carbohydrates um 20 grams of carbohydrates there's no recovery impact but if you're going to go and attempt to um burn off 20 grams of carbohydrates that uh will require some recovery ability so um i think that it's a lot better to usually leave your recovery ability intact reduce the food intake and then save that energy you know that recovery ability for hard training sessions um and you know the funny thing is like a lot of times people think the, the natural instinct is to think that you're going to feel better if you can consume more food and then go burn it off because you know it's but you actually i almost find without almost without exception when people reduce their activity and reduce their food they're not as hungry um, uh, they're not as hungry and they feel more, let me use the word stable, steady. Uh, I think that, um, without realizing it, yeah, you can eat more when you have more activity, but activity is a strong appetite stimulant. Um, and so I try to avoid those appetite stimulants in my clients. I think that's super interesting because like, it's one of those things that came in for very good reasons, just like diet breaks and refeeds but maybe got pushed too far in terms of like step counts and like people started shoving up these step counts to like, I don't know, 20,000 plus, which I think can, like you said, it can really wear on you. I know for me, psychologically, I remember having like 20,000, 25,000 steps I needed to hit each day on the weekend. And I was just like getting low blood sugar on these walks and like feeling like crap. And it was really stressful. So it's interesting to hear again, maybe people swung too far that way. Did you have something well, to say, Brett? Sorry. No, Brett, go for it. I did notice that uh, relying too heavily on step count, I mean, it does make you hyper-focused a little bit too much on that. And when Cliff did uh, reduce the cardio and the amount of steps I was taking, I did notice um, a bit more fullness returning to the lower body. Maybe that is uh, correlated with you know higher training performance with less overall activity for the lower body. Um, no, and you... you I do think that reducing the cardio, you will, you're, you're kind of getting on both ends. You tend to have a little bit more fuel to train. So like you help your training on the front end by having more energy to actually train. And then you help it on the back end by not impacting your recovery to then recover from that session. And then going back to what you said about the step counts, um, there are a couple of trends right now in coaching and and the bodybuilding community that um i you know i get a lot of client applications and i go through what people are telling me they want to see with their prep and sometimes i feel like a dinosaur um and it's uh what in my approach but um it's funny because when i first got into bodybuilding like started coaching like 10 10 years ago now almost 11 g's time flies um i was told that i'm too i was told that i was too 
analytical and data driven. And now I'm told I'm not enough analytical, you know, data driven or analytical. Um, so like the one thing that, uh, like the step counts, for example, people are like, how many steps should I go for per day? And I always just say, just live your life. Um, and they're like, what? And I'm like, I'll, you know, I will titrate your food intake accordingly. Um, live your life and I'll titrate food accordingly. And, um, and so, uh, Austin Stout made a great post, uh, in the other day. And I, it's funny cause I'd been saying this too, uh, where I don't think all of these, um, variables should, should be micromanaged. Um, you know, and, and so like, uh, Brett, I think I told you when we first started. Um, so when I first started coaching, I was using like spreadsheets, spreadsheets. Yeah. I was using spreadsheets and, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a, uh, a concept in, in like scientific terms that you can't measure something without also altering it. Um, and so, um, I started to realize that the spreadsheets were stressing people out. Um, and it didn't let me know what was important to them. So I'm like, so now, so about eight years now, I've been like, I say, send me your weight, send me your photos, tell me about your week. Um, and I learn a lot by people telling me about their week. Um, I find out what is important to them, you know, if sleep was bad or, you know, if, um, it was stressful or, you know, a stressful week or they've been hungry. Um, but if I ask them about all these things, some people are sleeping six and a half hours a night. And, you know, to me, that seems maybe a little less than ideal. Um, but maybe they're okay with it and they haven't noticed any issues with it. But if I start having them log how much sleep they're getting on their, their um, spreadsheet, then they're like, well, I don't know, is six and a half good? And then they start stressing about that. And so, um, I try to really, the end of contest prep, bringing it back to the, the point of this podcast, the end of podcast or the end of prep is the, one of the most stressful things you're ever going to go through physically and mentally. And um, I, I'm a big believer in trying to minimize any stressors to the body and mind as possible. So sometimes that means not tracking certain variables and just adjusting accordingly. You know, if, if people aren't tracking their steps, sometimes they move a little bit more for a week, they'll lose a little bit more for a week. If they lose a little bit less for a week, then I'll make, I'll adjust food to account for that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, tracking every data point can sometimes be harmful. Go on, Brett. No, I wonder if, <clears throat> you might know this, Cliff, but I wonder if there's any correlation between uh, how one handles stress. If they're low stress, if they end up having, you know, more optimal results, or if somebody is high stress, do they tend to not lose as much just due to hyper-focusing on these little variables that they should not micromanage? And another thing is, one thing that I did notice between working with uh, Cliff and Alberto, I never used spreadsheets when I worked with both of them. And I'm not sure if that, you know, amounts to anything, but I, I did notice that there was less stress, you know, going about my day, not necessarily having to punch in every single, you know, input and data into that spreadsheet and then overanalyzing every single specific detail. And on, on, I was just going to say on that note, Cliff, when you don't get people to use the uh, spreadsheets, are you asking them to be honest in terms of, I guess, whether or not they're actually stuck to their nutritional kind of plans. Cause I guess people could just be like, yeah, like I, I stuck to it or yeah, I guess the people you're working with are serious enough that it's like, that isn't such an issue for you, the kind of adherence. Um, you know, uh, so there's a lot of situations where this is more with newer competitors where, you know, if they mess up with their diet, they won't want to tell you. So right out of the gate, you know, and if we're going to talk about good coaching practice, I would say one of the first things I talk to people about is you have to tell me everything. You can tell me everything. And I even make it clear, even the top pros mess up on their diet. I, you know, I even kind of, a lot of times I'll tell people I have seen some stuff like people, you know, I've seen top pros binge four days out from their biggest show of their career. Um, and so, I mean, I, I've, I've, 
you know, and, and it happens. Um, nobody talks about it, you know, but like it happens to so many people. And so um, I try to remove the shame <laughs> from falling off of plan uh, to foster open communication. Um, but even with that, there are going to be situations where people don't tell me what is, well, sorry, then going on with removing the shame. When they do tell me about something being off plan, I don't punish. Like some coaches are kind of like in this like punishment. Well, you cheated on your diet. We got a slash. You know what I mean? Um, uh, I don't punish in that manner uh, because it's not productive. It's, it's more reactionary than effective. And so um, then along those lines, but if I get the sense that there are, there have been plenty of times where I feel like somebody's overreading um, on their, on their plan, but not telling me about it. Um, I give them all the opportunities to um, tell me ways without sort of admitting they slipped up. Do you know what I mean? Like I say, recount your numbers, you know, take a look at what you've been eating, make sure there's no miscalculations. So if they have some discomfort with telling me that they slipped up on their diet, they can just tell me, Hey, I looked at my numbers and things have been off. I, I miscalculated or something like that. Um, I also will, um, you know, I, I just try to talk to them. I, I really will just try to talk to them. Sometimes, sometimes there've been situations where I suspect somebody has been cheating on their diet, not telling me. And within a, you know, when, when all is good with someone's plan, sometimes all it takes is they email me and I email them back and I say, Hey, it's, you know, you're looking good. Keep going for this week. And then we don't touch base again until next week. I mean, there've been times where I've exchanged 40 emails in a day or two. And so it's like, whatever it takes to get that person on track, we just have to do it. Does that make sense? Um, but I, I genuinely think that, um, when it comes to coaching, I think that there's a lot of, um, uh, I think a lot of people some wrongly acute, uh, equate coaching athlete relationship with almost like a uh, uh, boss or authority figure. Yeah. But um, yeah. I, I, I actually, I genuinely think it's, um, it's cooperative and it should be cooperative. Like you're on the exact same team. And, and it benefits you both to do well. You know what I mean? Like, um, if the, if the client does well, that's awesome for the coach. And if, you know, if the, and if then if the coach knows everything, the coach can do his job well, and that's good for the, the client. So, um, I think that the more you can just realize, Hey, we are both on the same team. Tell me everything, you know? Hey, Pascal here. I just quickly wanted to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we put a huge emphasis on the personal aspect of our coaching. And if you want to take your physique and knowledge to the next level, hit the link in the description below. Absolutely. I think that's really well said. And uh, I, I think we could do a whole podcast actually probably with us three on kind of coaching people in that sense, because I think there's a lot of lessons to be said. And I think that kind of client-centered coaching where it's a dynamic relationship where like you aren't like like i've had you probably have clients where they're like oh, i know you're going to be angry with me or disappointed or something it's like i'm uh, not that like it's not that sort of relationship it's not really there so um but to set that aside for a moment something i did want to touch on is i know brett you mentioned i just remember you saying 57 grams of fat and so something i wanted to bring up was whether or not towards this particularly towards the latter end but at any point during prep was kind of brett did you follow a meal planner and is kind of meal plan something you advise cliff or do you have a flexible approach I don't know if Brett, you want to start off? Yeah, no, I actually did start. I, I had a meal plan layout just due to the numbers that were given to me. And after reading the Revive Stronger contest prep book, um, <laughs> to kind of mitigate the, you know, the amount of diet fatigue that I was having, I just, I'm like, you know what, since I am working quite a bit, I'm going to not time my meals, but I'm going to have a general layout of food sources that are consistent such that I am not, um, messing around with a variable that could potentially, you know, mess up my scale weigh-ins just to mainly keep the consistency aspect a little bit more precise, especially since I was, you know, leading up to WMBF worlds where prior to that, I did take more of a very, very, very flexible dieting approach. So scale fluctuations were up and down, up and down, just due to those food sources differing day to day to day. 
same goes for you know fluid consumption and just a few other factors as well but cliff did not uh cliff gave me like a general guideline how to uh plan out my meals um first thing i did ask him was like do you want me to actually follow this to the t or can i kind of deviate a little bit maybe possibly put some carbs before work and after work so i'm not an a-hole so yeah. cool so i guess cliff that kind of answers your my question to you in terms of you don't set meal plans it's more recommendations surrounding calories nutrient timing that sort of thing yeah um so i give uh i'll generally give people some recommendations i don't give the exact foods i'll give them recommendations for how big meals should be and when but the recommendations they're not a hard hard rule um and but i do think it's beneficial the reason i lay out because i want people to choose their own foods because i think they're more likely to stick with the plant they're consuming foods that they like um different people have different digestion uh abilities so they can choose foods that agree with them in general um but i like setting generalized meal plans that is like maybe a meal plan they could eat i want them to set their meal plan and then if they want to swap out a meal or a food they can do that but i think that um uh, and I, I use, I use so much psychology in there. The reason for that is there's um, something in psychology called implementation intention. Um, it shows that it really helps with, um, discipline, uh, discipline being that, um, they show that people, when they intend to do something, um, it's more effective if they also intend how they will implement it. So if, uh, if somebody has a hard time getting themselves to go to the gym, they're like, I'm going to go to the gym today. Well, it's very broad. It actually, research actually shows it'll help if they say, I'm going to go to the gym today. It's going to happen at 5 p.m. And they even think about the route that they will take to the gym uh, to drive to the gym. They think about the workout they will do when they get to the gym. So they are not just intending to do this thing. They're intending the exact steps that they will do in order to get the thing. So I think a meal plan is beneficial in that regard with implementation intention in that. Um, it's not, I will follow my diet today. It's, I will follow my diet today and this is how I'm going to do it. Cool. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I think it makes a lot of sense, to, especially towards the latter end of prep when there is the the opportunity to not adhere. I mean, the kind of, the it's harder to adhere at least towards the end, maybe. Um, but like, at least theoretically, it's certainly harder. I think sometimes people's mindset just gets to a place where it's like, it's actually no longer harder. Uh, I don't know, actually, that, I guess that's a topic for you uh, to just for us to discuss maybe but for you Brett was there did you from the get-go were you pretty focused and you weren't kind of letting things kind of go astray or did the focus only come in towards the end do you ever get it and I, I guess did you find that you had to push harder towards the end or did you manage to have a hard and then taper off approach it took quite a I mean when I do enter a contest prep I'm 100% precise and accurate. That is just, it's an on and off switch. That's why my off seasons are a lot more lax in approach. So when it does come contest prep time, food scale, everything is to the gram. If it's one gram off, I will take that little piece of Cheerio out. It's going to be 50. Um, even towards the tail end, I would, I want to see I got more anal, but I did get a bit more overly precise. Um, I get my question then. That's in no, that's good because I guess my question for Cliff is: Do you ever get it where people are a bit too lackluster at the start, so then they have to make up for that towards the end? Yeah, um, I think that uh, yeah, it's and that's common. You know, people think, and you never want to have people. So I find that people have different. gas pedals <laughs> you know what i mean um some people <laughs> oh man I, I hope i'm not giving away something to my clients that they hear me doing to them so um i think sometimes with clients um i avoid using the word prep to them because um you know if i want to start cutting down at 30 weeks and i know that these people have a real strong gas pedal where they like push on it you know um so sometimes around like 30, 35 weeks, I'll start saying, let's start cutting down a little bit, getting ready for the show. I do not use the word prep. 
because some people when they are like they hear the word prep they're like you know we could be eight or nine months out they're like prep starts today let's go you know and they they're like they're up all night they're once prep starts they're up all night envisioning collecting the first place trophy and they're exhausting themselves you know what i mean like they they never like no more family functions i'm in prep and so um in those instances uh i try to ease people into it this is where the i think the individuality comes in i try to ease people into it i don't use the word prep um i hold off on using that word i make everything real casual like hey we're just you know we're just getting into this we're we're losing we're trimming up a little bit you know um, <laughs> and then other people where i think that sometimes they have a real easing in mentality um then I've got to motivate them to push, you know, I, I'll, um, one thing, and this is the truth. Um, I'll say like, Hey, we need to push now because sometimes people take this approach of, I have plenty of time. And I remind them that at four weeks out, everybody is pushing everybody. You are not separating yourself at four weeks out. You're separating yourself at 20 weeks out. Can you push yourself at 20 weeks out? Well, most people can't so now is the time where you actually gain some ground on the competition because at four weeks out everybody's pushing you're not going to separate yourself there yeah, i think that's really well said and i think good that you brought out there are different individuals because like we spoke before like there are the go harder mentality so that person if you say prep you're like oh don't get complacent they're going to go the other way whereas other people need that kind of push for sure i can definitely see that um, and one final thing I guess would be really cool to talk about is just the influence of potential like uh, water retention and that's what impact that has on the scale and how and whether or not Brett you dealt with much water retention and if that impacted the scale much and if kind of you did how did you guys deal with it and if you didn't have that cliff what if you do get that with clients and how would you kind of help kind of get around that being a real sticking point and knowing what to make the how, what the right call is at that time if brett you want to start if, if you had scale weight kind of i had that occur quite i mean not too much once i buckled down on the actual food sources but when sodium intake was a you know a bit inconsistent i did notice a bit of water retention occurring from that and then also um uh step inflammation over time along with training inflammation um, I would know that my, you know, the two days after I would train legs that my scale weight would, you know, bump up just a little bit. And then uh, when I would implement refeeds, I knew that a little bit of retention, water retention would, you know, occur with uh, glycogen being stored along with, you know, a bit more higher fluid intake. But uh, I knew internally that it would taper off over the course of time. Now, this didn't occur as much while... Uh, two to four weeks out from prep. And if it did, it, it was mainly digestion issues along with, you know, uh, poor sleep, possibly influencing, you know, the scale weight and the retention of water. I, I did notice it when, when super, super lean that the skin did have a uh, different like pinch and look to it, which could have been influenced from the lower carbohydrates. But water retention uh, entirely not as bad as some people do have cool um you know along those lines i guess i would say that um i would encourage people to try not to pay a ton of attention to the the fluctuations with water retention uh you know there's a lot of talk about you know i see a lot of people track like fat loss on graphs and you know everybody knows on the on the on the scale you know if we're looking at it goes up and it down but the the progression line is still the the data trend line is still downward um the same thing happens with physiques uh you know over the course of a contest prep your your look will kind of go like this but the the data progression line will still be upward um and so you know it's it sometimes where i'll have that where um, somebody will tell them, you know, I can already tell somebody's in the mindset where they think they need more food because, you know, they're struggling with the flat feeling and, and then they'll cheat on their diet and, you know, they'll overeat and then they'll email me the next day and they'll go, well, look, I look so much better. And I'm like, they're like, I needed more food. And I'm like, well, you just 
you peaked yourself kind of, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you miniature peaked yourself. Um, but our, um, so your look will adjust on a day-to-day basis due to these variables that Brett said, digestion, sodium, um, flat versus full sleep. So your look will go up, you know, due to a specific variable, but, um, people need to remember that the aggregate will always win out over the course of time. So it's like individual variables will affect things on a day-to-day basis, but the aggregate, the the whole of what you're doing will always, um, continue to progress along the lines. So, um, I would say don't, don't get too caught up in the day-to-day fluctuations in either your weight or your look. If you look bad for a day, you look bad. Um, I, I also a lot of times tell people, don't, don't assess your physique between check-ins. Um, check your physique once a week like you do your body weight or whatever your check-in day is. Um, because if you're assessing your physique every, every day, you're going to see you're only going to get as much information as checking your weight every day. You know, if you, if you're making changes to your diet based on these ups and downs of your physique daily, um, you're going to be too inconsistent to actually make progress. I, I really like that. It's kind of like letting the, the averages take the, like, that's what you're looking at, not the, the fluctuations through that. One thing I know, Cliff, you've spoken about it before, I think is you and I guess this is why you should have plenty of time so you can let these averages kind of play through but I think you're pretty quick to make a nutritional change you don't kind of let the scale stall for like weeks on weeks on weeks you're kind of make an adjustment even if it's just small that's am I right yes yeah uh, um I would say even though I make um I I, I recommend longer preps I still prefer aggression <laughs> um yeah I, I prefer aggression um because uh, I think that, you know, it's really, e- it's really difficult sometimes to get things rolling forward. Um, it's easy to pull them back if you need to. And so um, I, I, I think um, there's always a fine line to be walked between, um, you know, uh, being timid and being aggressive. And I think that you're generally um, going to be better served by maintaining aggression and being proactive. Is that something, Brett, that you, uh, is that something different you experienced with working with Cliff? Yeah, that's something we actually had a discussion about, I believe, last week or two weeks ago. Um, due to the overall duration of my diet and how I personally handle it myself, which Cliff kind of altered my perspective of how to go about it again. Instead of, you know, dieting for nine to 10 months, maybe perhaps either dieting a bit more aggressively over a shorter duration of time and then, uh, stacking shows a little bit more you know next to one another as opposed to stretching it out over a three-month period of a contest prep season mainly due to it's it's a bit difficult to actually uh peak for every individual show if they're a month after one another especially if you're in a prolonged deficit you're gonna lose size you're gonna lose fullness run too flat and then end up sacrificing a little bit of muscle on the way down doing that cool yeah, I guess there's that sweet spot where longer isn't just better. It's a case of long enough. And if you can do it in a shorter time, why wouldn't you? Well, the 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 fact that you were able to maintain conditioning for such a long time, Brett, is like a testament to your mental uh, mental toughness. Because, man, uh, th- there's a certain steadiness and discipline that comes from being able to maintain that and um, still deal with life. I mean, really. Um, and so I, I'm, I was super impressed because I think the majority of people could not, let alone can't get to the conditioning that you push yourself to, but then maintain for such a long period of time is insanely impressive because I, I think that um, the, the discipline factor in being able to get there and then stay there is out of the world. Thank you. Thank you. I guess I'm good at starving it. myself. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, guys. I'll uh, I'll call it here because I know we've been speaking for an hour. I could talk to you all day, but I want to make sure people know if they want to see some gnarly conditioning, either just Brett's or like uh, Cliffs and all your clients and actually and Brett's clients as well. Where should they check out if they want to learn more from either of you? If Brett, you want to go first? 
I'm uh, on Instagram at bathtub, B-A-F-T-U-B, or for our coaching services, ATP Performance, LLC.com. Um, for me, uh, Instagram uh, at CW Team Wilson, um, and my website is TeamWilsonBB.com. Um, those are the main two places. <laughs> Fantastic. Guys, thank you so much for this chat. I think it's been really interesting and I think people get a lot from it. And thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Your Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people, uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. It's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.